Hi, my name is Joel Knox. I'm the senior pastor at the Vineyard Church of Brenham in Brenham, Texas. I'm so glad you're interested in our podcasts. This media is completely free to you, so you can share it with anyone else, however you'd like. Our church is located at 1401 South Bluebell Road in Brenham at the corner of Tom Green Street next to the Bluebell Creamery and across from the Bluebell Aquatic Center. You can also find us on the web at vineyardbrenham.org and on Facebook and Twitter at Vineyard Brenham. Anyway, thanks again for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Well, that video was called, What is Christmas Without Love? And it's an important question to ask during this season. As attitudes change toward the original Christmas story, it's healthy to remind ourselves that love made this season possible. God loved us enough to send His Son to earth to live and to die for us. And Christmas is a celebration of the Father's love. Now I want to take some time this morning to examine how we celebrate this love during this wonderful season. We're continuing our series, The Humble King, Royalty Meets Humility in Christmas. And as we indicated during our Advent reading this morning, this is the fourth week of Advent, the week of love, grace, and faith. And the title of my message this morning is The Humble King of Love. Now, we know that the gospel is the good news the Son of God came into the world to save us. That's the gospel. The entire message is summed up in the Gospel of John in a single verse that I think we all would recognize. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, if, if a text in Scripture could be famous, I think this is it. It's one of the first verses that we teach kids and new believers whenever they come to the faith. Anyone who's been in church for any length of time is familiar with this verse. And they may not be able to say it verbatim, but they know the gist of it and they can explain it when asked. And its words are the words of Jesus. He's explaining the Father's heart for the world that He came to save. Now, if we look at the address of the text, I like to call it the address, John 3.16, it's almost as, as famous as the verse itself. I, I, I was looking this week just to see it, it used to be like a staple in, in football games. You know, every time that they're getting ready to kick an extra point, up goes John 3.16 down in the corner or off to the left or, you know, which, whichever direction. You know, it, it's always there. Not so much as it was in the past. But we've also seen it in, in lots of other places. Maybe you've seen it in graffiti on the wall someplace. 
or you know under an underpass or something like that. I saw it nailed on a tree one time years ago when we were in Mississippi. Some guy and and he I, I know he, the guy had to have, have have had those those spur things you know that the the pole climbers use because it was way way up on this pine tree that was off on the side of the road. And then I've seen it in tattoos. I've I've seen it on shirt logos, on bumper stickers. I mean, John 3.16 is everywhere that people are. Wouldn't you agree? Well, the Apostle Paul in his letter to Christians living in Rome in the first century said this about the gospel. I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. Now, as we look at this, do you, do, you, do you recognize what Paul just said there? What he said? He said the gospel is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. This gospel is powerful enough to change a person's life. If we believe, if we put our faith in Jesus, that He came to save the world, that He came and lived and died and was resurrected, and we believe that, that truth can change our lives. It can change the course of our lives. Now, it, it, how many of you just, and, and I, hopefully it's everybody, but have you experienced that power in your life? Can you tell a difference of what you were like before and what you were like after? Now, I, I accepted Jesus whenever I was seven, and I, I confessed everything that I had done wrong at that point in time, and, and I, I've done things since then that I've asked the Lord to forgive me for that, that were, you know, kind of made those things pale in comparison. But the gospel brings about transformation. It changes us. The, the knowledge that, that we have given our lives to Jesus changes us. And it makes us in, into disciples of Jesus. That knowledge that He died for us, that He came to change us, will change our lives and make us in, to, into new people. Now, we as humans have this tendency, once we learn something, once we get it down that we kind of take it for granted. You notice that? You notice that tendency in yourself? We don't quite think about it the same way until we make ourselves focus on it again. Well, while I was, I was writing this message, I was thinking about it. And what, what are some of the things that we take for granted whenever we get to know them? And I, and I, and I think that probably the best one is in the area of driving. How many of you remember what it was like when you were learning how to drive? You usually have, have somebody in the front seat with you and they're, 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 they're telling you everything that you do wrong. Well, when, uh, when my kids were learning how to drive, we found out that it was cheaper than, than going to driver's ed school to do parent-taught driver's ed. You pay 25 bucks... Yeah, oh, you, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll talk. I'll, 
and, and it's it, it it's it's a great savings because you can spend upwards of three four hundred dollars for for driver's ed, and so so this was this was my plan, and and at that point in time I, I was I was working in 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 Montgomery, and the kids and I were going to school in in Montgomery. And we lived in Conroe, and so we had a had a 18, 18 mile probably a thirty minute drive. And so I had it figured out that I'm going to teach my kids how to drive on Highway 105 coming out of Conroe to Montgomery. Well, uh, well, yeah, commuter time. And, 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 and again, this, this kind of goes with like, you know, the, and, and I, I'm so glad my kids aren't here because I, I could talk about them. But each, each of my kids, and, and, and if, you, if you happen to do defend or um, parent-taught driver's ed, you'll find that each of your kids drive differently. And I found that out really early. And, and it was, we, we were, we've kind of always been spoiled with our son, Chris. And I'll, I'll brag on my kids a little bit. But Chris, he, he's, he just turned 26 years old. He's been on his own since he was 18. I mean, you know, can't say enough good about this kid. Well, whenever I started teaching him how to drive, I mean, it, it just clicked. It was like, it, and, and he, was, he was an awesome driver. But he had this one little thing that he liked to do. He liked to bank his turns. And we had this, this 97 Mercury Grand Marquis big car. And whenever you bank the turns in that thing, I mean, you know, it, it'll, it'll turn, but, you know, it, it, it rocks side to side. And so... Uh, one particular time, and this is like one of those terrifying moments in, in, in teaching the kids how to drive. He hadn't quite got his driver's license yet. So I'm, I'm having to ride in the front seat, and he's coming up on this turn, and we knew this turn was coming, and this is normally where he will turn, and it's, it's a right turn, and, you know, so it's coming, and I'm expecting him to start slowing down, and he's not slowing down. And we're in this, this, this Mercury Grand Marquis, and he comes up on the turn, and he's not slowing down. And then finally, at the last minute, he turns and he does that, that bank thing that he did. Well, there happened to be a lady that was waiting there at the, at the, at the stop sign. And, and, and this, it's, it's, it's so funny. But she's looking out the window. It's, it looked like her hands were on the door of the car. She's looking out the window, watching as, his, as the car just glides right past it was a miracle that we didn't hit her. If, if we'd have hit this lady, I mean, she would have been dead. But she's <laughs> eyes that are this big. And when we got out of the turn, I looked over at my son, and his face was about white because he didn't expect that he was going to be able to make it through the turn, I guess. And so, so from that point forward, you know, I, I told him, okay, you need, to, you need to work on this banking your turns. Well, he ended up, he, he got his driver's, driver's license, and it was good. Um, with the girls, it was a little bit different. Jessica was the one that it, I'd tell her to stop, and she's like, I'm trying. Uh, no, Jessica, please, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> and, then, and then Anna was probably, I think, the most conscientious driver of all of them, and, and I never really had to correct her a whole lot, and that, that was really nice. But, but the thing about driving... And, and this, is, this is something that I, I, it, it just happens. We pass our driver's test, and that's really the only time that we ever really get tested on driving again. And so we start getting a little lax about how we approach a stop sign. And you might just kind of creep through the stop sign and not come to a complete stop. If you've ever gotten a ticket for that, 
you know, try to explain. Uh, I, I, I stopped, officer. No, you didn't. You, you stopped after you went through the sign. You know, and but it, there's there's other little things like looking over your shoulder whenever you're gonna gonna change lanes, and and I actually learned that when I was teaching my kids because I, I I was counting on my on my my mirrors all the time and you know instead of looking over the shoulder just to, just in case somebody might be in the blind spot. Well, those those rules those those things that we're taught they they really don't change that much. It's our attitude toward it that we've we've gotten comfortable. And, and we, we, we start fudging a little bit. Maybe we start speeding. We drive a little bit faster than we normally, we probably should. Maybe, you know, and then this has become a real problem in our, in our society, driving while distracted. You're texting. You see people in the car and they're not paying attention. And, you know, and, and you think about what, what happens when you're driving a car. You know, just the seconds that you take off from the road... That could be an eternity if you have someone in front of you. The next thing you know, you run into someone, someone pulls out, whatever. But it, it's, it's our attitudes toward driving. It really hasn't changed that much. They, they really haven't come up with a lot of new laws, you know. And, and when you go into for your, your um, d- defensive driving class because you got a ticket, then you get reminded of all the things that you kind of took for granted you know, including driving too fast and, you know, and, and uh, uh, hundreds of other things that, you know, I, I didn't realize I was doing that or I, I'd stopped doing that. Well, in, in some of the same way with driving and our attitudes toward driving, we, we approach the Christmas story that way. Because we've all heard it. You know, Jesus came as a baby Maybe you saw it on Talladega Nights that he comes in a golden fleece diaper. But, you know, it's... Okay, we need a movie night. Um, Great movie. Yes, it really is. Um, but we, we, we look at the Christmas story, and, and like, for instance, we've got the nice-looking manger scene, this, this, this nice little fancy word, crash. But you look over there and, and everything is so stoic and so, so majestic. And, and I think this is possibly one of the most beautiful manger scenes I've ever seen in my life. And it was donated here to the church. And it's, it's just wonderful to be able to pull that thing out and, and just to have it there to look at. Well, you go over and you look at the faces of Mary and Joseph. You look at the at at the wise men, and, and, and it's you know they, they, they look so so stoic and so 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 majestic even, and and we just we we look at it and we read a read a, a verse like John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that He gave, and it, and it's it's almost a sterile kind of thing, and we lose contact with the meaning. And, and, and the, the purpose in the story. If you recall what, what took place, first of all, God the Father sent His Son to die. And it's very reminiscent to whenever Abraham, if you remember in the Old Testament, he was asked to take his son that he had been waiting for. And he's, he's finally received the blessing 
the, the child that was promised. And God says, let's take your son out and, and sacrifice him. And to Abraham's credit, he was waiting for God to, to bring a sacrifice that would, that, would, that would pay for whatever obedience that he would have to have. But the fact that he was willing to take his son out when God told him and lay him on, on an altar to the point of killing that child. And then, then God gives him a reprieve in, in, in the, the ram that's in, in, in the thicket. But this is what the father did. And, and, and whenever, the, whenever the dagger was raised, there was no other lamb because Jesus was the sacrifice. And he offered up his only child, his, his only son, the Scripture says, as a sacrifice for our sins. If that doesn't give you pause, then maybe you need to read the story again to, to, to let it grab you once again that, that there was a sacrifice that was involved. But it doesn't end with just what the Father gave. We have the story of a, an unmarried mother. Scholars say that she was probably in her teens. She's living at home with her parents, and she finds out that she's with child from the Holy Spirit. That's a problem. That's a problem in Jewish society, because if she were found to have been pregnant, she could have been brought before the Sanhedrin and stoned publicly, publicly humiliating her family, publicly humiliating her herself, and losing her life because of the child that she, she bore. And then there's this, the story of her and her fiancé, Joseph. I can only imagine what it might be you know, for someone who's, who's engaged to be married and find out that, that their soon-to-be wife is already expecting a child. And we have the, the story in Scripture that, that, that God came to Joseph in a dream and explained to him that this child is from me and you can take Mary as your wife. And, and he obeyed God and, and, and they, they ended up having to leave and they went to Egypt to stay in order for the, for the child to be born safely. But we, we, we lose that sometimes because we... We've heard the story. We've we've familiar. We've become familiar with it to the point that we we're almost immune to it. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul described the sacrifice that Jesus made in coming to Earth as the humble King. In chapter two, verse six, Paul writes, "Though he was God, speaking of Jesus." He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And he appeared in human form and he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Can you imagine what it must have been like for, for someone who 
who had created the world to experience thirst, to experience hunger, to experience exhaustion because He was human just like we were or like we are. He experienced everything that we experience. And the Scripture says that He did so without sin. But He had to experience what it was like to be human even though that He was completely God. What could possibly motivate someone to do something like that, to give up everything, to give up every privilege, everything that that was rightly His? What could motivate a person to do what Jesus did? I'll tell you, it was love. It was love. He had the compassion in, in His heart for us. He knew what His purpose was from the day that he, that he was aware of who He was on this planet. He had come to love and to save us. What could move someone to give up their son in order to save the entire world? We know the answer. It's love. Love makes people do some crazy things. If you think about what you've done for love in your life, you you could probably say, yeah, I've done some pretty crazy things for love. You might drive several hours only to turn around and go back at the end of the night because, you know, you just wanted to see that person. Whenever Danelle and I were, were dating before we got married, I lived in Victoria, she lived in Houston. And so on, on Saturdays, I would drive in, we would go out, and then I would drive back that night and I'd be in church the next morning. You do crazy things for love. Well, people who've had their lives changed by this crazy, reckless love, like the Jesus love, They can do some amazing things with the the broken world that we live in. The Apostle John was a person who experienced the love that Jesus offered, and it changed his life. If you remember in the New Testament, John and his brother James, they were called the Sons of Thunder. And the reason that they got that nickname was that Jesus was going into Samaria one time and they didn't give Jesus the proper recognition. And so he goes, they, John or James, it's not clear which one, but they went to Jesus and they said, Hey Lord, they disrespected you. Let's call down fire on these guys. What, what do you say? And, and, and Jesus, well, he, he told them, Hold off. That, that's, that, that's, that's completely unnecessary, guys. I mean, they, they were all about the, the power and the authority. They were, they were the ones who got their mom to ask Jesus, Hey, can my sons be on, on either side of you whenever you come into your kingdom? Whoa, hold on, guys. You got this all wrong. This, this, this isn't about all power, this is more about love. <coughs> That same man, John, would later write the letter that we took our Advent reading from this morning. And I want to read again what he had to say about love and loving each other. Because it's totally relevant to us as we, we move into this season. John writes, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. 
For love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much He loved us by sending His his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and His love is brought to full expression in us. John Wimber used to say, in relation to the gifts of the Spirit and and to healing, before God can do something through you, He has to do it to you. We need to experience Jesus' love and allow it to transform our lives. And it needs to be a fresh thing for us. And what a better time to experience this love than during the Christmas season. Then when we're transformed by this love, we can't help but share about what has happened in us because of it. And we can do that with anybody that we meet. We can do that with our neighbors. We can do it with our friends. We can do it with our own family. And when they they see the transformation in in us, they recognize it as authentic, as real. And that's what the gospel does. It changes people's lives all the time. So I want to challenge us this morning. We have a couple of days till Christmas. So I, I, want to, I want you to do this. First of all, take some time in the next few days, just whenever you can, you can find that time, to read the Gospels again. Read about Jesus' birth. Read about His life. Read about His death. Read about His resurrection. And allow the Spirit to speak to you through what you read. Allow the Spirit to make it alive. Allow the Spirit to let it get on the inside and start churning on the inside. And and allow that transformation to start its work. Get it into your heart. And then I want to to just, just challenge you to ask God to give you opportunities to share His love with anybody that He puts in your path. I think you'll be amazed at at the opportunities. I think you'll be amazed at at what, what, what happens inside of you whenever you see His love at work in, in, in just, just what you do in, in your ordinary, everyday living. And as the Apostle John said, when we love each other, God's love is at its fullest expression. That's it. That, that's, that's, that's the pinnacle. That's, that's it. That's what He wants for us, to show His love in, in our everyday interactions. So, let's share the love of Jesus this Christmas. Can we stand together?